Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code OLDLINE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code OLDLINE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please play responsibly. For help, visit MDGamblingHelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Anyway, she goes to bed. I open up a box out of five I light up, I call myself a cognac, and I watch the 14 fists of my What a picture. Yo, homie, is that my briefcase? And start asking the right fucking questions. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Rum and Rant. <laughs> it's Blake Howard. Why do I even bother inviting this guest on the show? She even teases me during the flippin' intros. We have not even gotten to who this person is. She is a prodigious journalist, a best-selling author, a budding screenwriter, a short film maker. I can't wait to see uh, the actual finished product of her short story, which is also award-nominated and is being adapted by her. And... What's really important is that she's a new fan of the movie Ronan. 
from 1998 from John Frankenheimer and Robert De Niro. She is my friend. This is her laughing at two guys trying to move Katie Walsh's car. Yeah, Katie. <laughs> it's Maria Lewis. Welcome back to Roman Rant, you freaking jerk. <laughs> Hi. Hi. Um, honor to be here. I will say, um, firstly, just got a hashtag fact check, all the president's minute style. Um, that was actually two men cheering on Katie while she moved the car rather than the reverse because as the man says in the video you're a fucking road warrior katie <laughs> <laughs> and what was the most heroic 86 point turn i've ever fucking seen in my life anyway <clears throat> thanks How lovely to be here wonderful what a time so um one thing that you do i think we've talked about a couple times before is you get into the groove of whether you're like editing something, writing something, and usually have these like frequent movies on play and very infrequently you'll kind of chuck new things, white noise into the rotation. And very recently you said, oh, okay, finally, everyone's talking about Ronan. You talk about it all the time. You freaking carry on about it. I'm going to finally check it out. And unlike some recent Michael Mann viewings, which we're not going to get into in today's episode, we do not have enough time. Oh, um, oh we are. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're, oh, you're being time conscious? You? Motherfucker? This guy? One hate minute? Turns to, oh, you're right. Time's a huge concern. I'm sorry. <laughs> My mistake. Sorry. I forgot. This is a super time conscious uh, creator. Carry on. Carry on. I'm conscious of the clock. Let's move. Let's uh, motor. <laughs> but what happened was you watched 1998. Like, time's an issue for me. Michael Mann fan. <laughs> We're about to cover two whole movies for me. It's stressful to cover it in like an hour. Okay. So you watched 1998's mm. Ronan, directed by John Frank. Well, I think it's actually good for you. It's good conditioning. Thank you. Um, Ronan, John Frankenheimer's flick, written by David Mamet, obviously starring uh, Robert De Niro, Jean Reno. Uh, we've also got Stellan Skarsgård in there. We have Sian Bian in there as well, and uh, Nakashil McElone, um, Jonathan Price. Terrific cast um, all around. Um, and you watched it, and I was half expecting the reactions that you had with some Michael Mann movies. Oh, this is terrible. But what was so awesome um, is that not only did you enjoy it, but you had the same feeling that I have had about it. And, and to quote you, because I think you put it better, it was like, holy shit, did the Bourne series just eat this movie's lunch? And I, and, and I absolutely agree with you. So do you want to talk to me about, firstly, what was the tipping point for you to watch Ronan? And secondly, um, what were the things that you really loved about it? Because I, I adore this movie, top to bottom, so infinitely rewatchable. And for me, I've actually watched it. Like, if you think about that, like, born in my rotation used to fill this slot but now watching ronin again i'm like i never go back but i'm pretty much like ronin forever yeah it's interesting because um i was actually surprised how much of the film i'd seen for a film i'd never seen before and that was purely from having lived with you and like just been in your house for like stretches of months and it would just be fucking on in the background all the time and I'd be like not paying attention or working away. And it's particularly the ice skating stuff. I was like, oh, there was like lots of little bits where I was like, huh, 
But the, I guess the catalyst for this was, um, yes, I love to have things on rotation and it's usually always stuff I have seen specifically because I'm distracted by it. I just want to come blanket. But, um, and usually the things that I see that are new are things that I'm physically going out to see, like a screening of something, right? Somewhere. Anyway, I should also say, like, I don't know, you use videos for this podcast. So I'm just going to quickly say that I have pore cream on my nose in case anyone's like, why is this bitch snotty? Uh, <laughs> and that relates to my second point. Well, I, I will say it's relevant relevant well you say that but then these fucking little videos pop up on your shit all the time and there i am looking like hagatha christie anyway the point is um the reason i watched ronan specifically was because i will go through these stretches of new stuff and it's usually i've gotten sick or which hasn't happened for ages because like i don't know we decided to start wearing masks and looking after ourselves revolutionary concept <laughs> and um or like i'll break a limb or some shit and i'll be stuck inside the house or i'll finish a project and i have a window of like two to three days and i'm just like read as much stuff watch as much new stuff and it's usually not like logically linearly linearly what chronologically new it's just like a thing that's new to me so i was sick for the past week and I basically, I guess, made myself feel worse by just like going through things that are important to Blake, which was just like a lot of like really long and sufferable Michael Mann films. But in there was uh, Ronan, which I was like, fuck, why wasn't this pitched to me as having an IRA subplot first and foremost? <laughs> things you know about me, defining things you know about me as a viewer. I fucking love a movie with an IRA subplot specifically from the eras of 1988 to 1998 because they would, it was wild because Hollywood just learned about the troubles and they were just running that shit into everything in a very like, in a way that I think maybe Russians feel about like the like fucking Cold War subplot. But it's just a diabolical thrill ride for me because it's the high end of it is so high. It's in the name of our father. And then the low end is like fucking, I guess, realistically, probably the jackal. <laughs> but, you know, like if we're being honest. Blown, and away. blown away is maybe a smidge lower than the jackal. Blown away. I was telling um, hashtag friend of the pod, Jen Fricker, about blown away the other day. She did not believe me when I was like, no, 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 no. Tommy Lee Jones plays like a provost member who ironically blows his way out of jail firstly crazy puts on a leprechaun accent the entire movie like doesn't even slow roll it doesn't even specify what part of island he's like the lucky charms part and then worse is jeff bridges is a former ira member who just has a boston accent and is bostoning it up which actually kind of makes sense if you know anything about the boston tapes but it's still like a very thin thread and then um, Tommy Lee Jones, because he's been in prison for so long. And by the way, like a prison that's literally a castle in the film. It's so crazy. I'm like, prisons don't look like this, but God bless y'all. Um, they're like England, I guess. But he learns about U2 for the first time while he's out and on the run. So they have all these scenes of him, multiple scenes, mind you, multiple scenes, like Batman, something in the way, like blown away had to walk. So Batman's <laughs> never Nirvana, like something in the way bullshit could run. Because ruining one of the best songs of all time, that fucking movie, by the way. Carry on. I seriously that has had um no 
no lasting legacy in the discourse and it only came out this year. Fascinating. Were we right? Yes. But it has multiple scenes of Tommy Lee Jones making bombs to you two. It is fucking crazy. Love it. Anyway, blown away, you're right, is the worst. Because the Jackal's actually, I would still argue good, even though it's ridiculous. Ronan, very small, very wee IRA subplot, but hilarious because there's somebody being like, what's in the case, Deidre? And I love that. And I love like a reference to like Sean Fay. And I just, I, I just had a really fun time. And I loved how it was so weird. Part of my thingy for like a catalyst for watching it besides getting sick is I was looking up the definitions of MacGuffin um, because I've been going on like a real Hitchcock bend, a guy who like fucking never misses. Like, was he a bit of a creep for sure? But North by Northwest is just like that bitch, truly that bitch. So I was looking up the definitions of MacGuffin and I hear that term used all the time, but I just never really understood what it meant. And so I was reading about it and Ronan is one of the most commonly cited examples of a MacGuffin being used in film. And I was like, huh, fascinating. And so this idea of like this whole film being about a case and we never actually learn what's in the case and there's never like an over explanation of, what this thing can do or why or any of this bullshit or like some fucking mythological name like oh my god it's the Hades six and you're like they all have names like that it's the Zeus four or or the 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 famous one most recently as well in a flick that we both enjoy quite a bit is Mission Impossible three with the rabbit's foot like they keep going oh it's the rabbit's foot it's the rabbit's foot it's Mm. the rabbit's foot and you're like okay what is it but like exactly to your point there's nothing like a sort of Belfastian accent going what's in the kiss. What's in the case? We What's in the case? The, we got to get the case. Well, it was it was the same day I watched Ronan. I also watched this movie, The 355, which is one of the many films that sort of lives on in Ronan's legacy. But it's all these like, you know, girl boss, gatekeep, gaslight chicks coming together. All these white feminists, Jessica Chastain, Diane Kruger, um, coming together as like hashtag spies. And they're like, the thing they're chasing after is some fucking USB that can like do anything. Like I shit you not. They're like, it can do anything. And I'm like, cool. But like what? And they're like, oh, like whatever you want. And I was like, okay, this is terrible plot. Like who, who? Can it, can honestly- it order Uber Eats out of your region? Because I really could go barbecue pork for, you know, like, seriously. I had- I dropped 50 bucks on Uber Eats tonight for this sushi from my favorite place. No regrets. No regrets. Um, but it was really fascinating because it was like, I remember watching Pulp Fiction for the first time and understanding lots of things about movies because they all followed on and the echoes of it, right? Ronan was really fascinating because I don't think it has the same pop culture cachet as a Pulp Fiction, but I would argue its influence, controversial, is just as wide and just as broad, if not more so, because of all the fucking Jason Bourne movies, but also things like the 355 and just this whole legacy of spy movies that are not set specifically in America. And the way that Ronan has like really bare bones dialogue, really bare bones plot is as skint as you could possibly get it and does such an amazing job of like, killing a bunch of cunts firstly but (laughs) secondly like just entrenching you in the place like the way they drive through those streets like the sheer amount of extras of every scene if they are all extras because that's like 
one of the things that I was just reading up about it and listening to conversations about it, that's always contested is like, yeah, they paid for 12 extras here. And then everyone else is just like some French motherfucker who's like, move on the north, um, which feels right. Cause you know, sorry, French people are like objectively really rude across the board. And even like the scene where, um, I, Tanya is in like the ice skating bed and they cut to the stadium and there are so many people. Like I was getting stressed thinking about the logistics of like, what's the call time to set up the scene? What time are people arriving to set? They're going to get in their costumes. Everyone gets checked. They're going to stack the stadium. Then they bring in everyone else. It was like, I don't know. It reminded me of heat in lots of ways, except for being good. And like, it was just really fascinating to me because it was kind of like, what if heat, but good. The way they spend time formulating the crew, the way like things go wrong, the sprawling nature of it. I just, I really loved it. Jason Bourne's crazy to me now. Not crazy. That's a really strong word. Jason Bourne's very differently lens to me now, having seen Ronan, because it really did jack its shit. The thing that Jason Bourne has that makes it different and special, and nobody would say this about what what makes Jason Bourne special, but the thing that makes it different and good and special is the romance. Not the spy shit, not Matt Damon, not the way it's shot. It's the romance at the core. And there's a reason why when she carks it, that those films get progressively worse and progressively less interesting. Like, I'm sorry, it's not fun to watch fucking The Shortest Man Alive, Jeremy Renner, have a conversation with a wolf and shit. As much as like Edwin Norton coming in being like, everybody out of the room now, like cool. And then one of the Jacobson brothers, remember? He's like, he runs the factory. <laughs> I remember seeing that at the movies and we were like, what the fuck? Crazy. What are the Jacobsons is in this? Mad. Um, but like the world building of Treadstone and that whole idea of spies and it's, you know, so widely done and broadly done. And um, what was the fucking thing I was just watching? Um, oh, The Grey Man, where they have like the whole Sierra Six thing and just this whole idea of like, yeah, there's a secret spy thing. And anyway, it always goes wrong. And then these boys are just like out of control. Fascinating. Fascinating. I just found Rodan really fascinating and uh, because of all the little tendrils. But also uh, when I was talking to you about it, one of the first things I cited as like, this would be the perfect double bill is the international, which is a film of my like deepest love and heart place. What? Um, from 2009, it's famous for the shootout that happens in uh, the Guggenheim. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so, so it's a Tom tick of the film. So that like, Tom is part of that whole crew of Wachowskis. They call it the pit. So it's like David Mitchell, Alexander Hammond, Lana and Lily, it's Tom Tikva. I'm missing somebody else, but it's like, if you just go to the fucking cast and crew of Sense8, every cunt on there is like part of that same group. They all work on each other's shit in different ways. And I always really love stuff that broadly comes from the pit because it has the same core themes, which are basically like, the core theme is like, we're all connected everyone's connected like sexually religion wise globally like that's their whole thing is like the borders humans build up do not exist and I think that's a thing that Cloud Atlas did really well um textually but also like in the adaptation and stuff I don't know it was just really fascinating but the international first time I saw it it really blew my tits off 
because of the way they shot on location. And the Guggenheim shootout is like staged at the Guggenheim and then they built a fake Guggenheim that they use for actual shootout stuff. But it's so like flawlessly and seamlessly done. No, but the fact that they even like get in there to set up the scene is crazy. But also think of like the budgetary cost and the like free reign you have to be given for some, for like Tom Tikva, who's like usually like fiddling on violins and shit to be like, Hey, so listen, um, we want to build the inside of the Guggenheim on a soundstage. <laughs> and someone was like, sounds good. Here's a bunch of money <laughs> for this movie that has no stars in it. Like, okay. It had Clive Owen and Tony Watts as the headliners, but like, it is one of those true, like, again, Wachowski's The Pit type movies where it really is an ensemble piece. There's, like, 20 people who all have pretty comparable amounts of dialogue. But it was just, to me, a masterpiece that was really underrated and international in its title, its scale, its ambition. But the dialogue was always very conscious and careful. And there's a line from that film that I really love that goes... um, sometimes a man can his destiny on the road he took to avoid it. And it's said by this character who's sort of like Played coming around Armin, to a realization. Armin Mueller-Stahl is the guy. He's basically been in 10 million things. I think he was in the X-Files movie. He was in Valkyrie. He's been in like a billion things, but here he plays a former Stasi agent turned broker of assassins for this like international banking uh company and uh he's he's like a fixer and things like that and he's just a you know a kind of bad dude but he has this great exchange with clive owen and i love that i love that scene also you know i think he's also in um eastern promises which i gotta say like in terms of like the great naomi watts canon um he's so good (laughs) in that eastern promises fucking rips one of cronenberg's best and least weird um, I love you some promises. We should t- talk about that another time, but um, let's get back to Ronan. The thing I, I totally agree. So one of the things that you, you said to me, like in this, uh, a great convo after you just watched it, you're like, fuck, I can't believe the production design. I can't believe the, the textures. I can't believe the landscapes. I can't believe they actually orchestrate so much of this action in real places. It's just kind of crazy. And John Frankenheimer is a weird director. He's been directing since the 1950s. Uh, I would say that I'm a Frankenheimer guy now and, and, and I'm new. You're to- a Frankenhead? I'm a Frankenhead, but I'm new to it because um, he he's such an amazing director because he has these like beautiful crime movies and things like that in his, in his genre, but he's made big movies. And one of them that I want to talk to you about really quickly because you're talking about scale, he's the only filmmaker ever. So to, to make a film and shoot it at a live Super Bowl. So the film oh, is black. I know exactly what you're talking about. Uh, Thomas Harris, Black Sunday, 1977, I think. Am I, is that right? Please yeah. tell me that's right. I'll be so stoked if that's right. No, you're absolutely correct. Fuck yeah! Uh, 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 uh. So, so Love bl- that for me. So- <laughs> Love to be right. <laughs> that's that's the video that's going up. You fake masturbating at your own knowledge. Um, no, I'm just kidding. But the, the um, Black Sunday is so amazing because he just gets actors and he, he – in amongst the, like the CBS cameras that are actually shooting the game, he shoots just bits of like an actor walking from one frame to another. Doesn't really tell people what's happening. They set all of their cinema cameras up next to the movie mm. cameras to not obstruct the, the game. 
they shoot these big interstitials and then obviously he then later cuts and shoots a section of the stadium later on for some of the action that happens. But he's a guy that's commanded huge sets and huge things and he's had this really weird up and down career. Like for every Black Sunday and Ronan, he's had like one. Oh, wait, and Manchurian Candidate. And Manchurian Like that's one of his most iconic movie, but also just quickly, Black Sunday, is that not an imprint films baby? Sure is an imprint films baby, yeah. (laughs) Cross promo. Yeah, cross from <laughs> um, one of those. But he also has the, I mean, delightfully weird cult movie, The Isle of Dr. Moreau with Val Kilmer and and Marlon Brando on his resume as well. So he's had this really weird and varied career, Reindeer Games, et cetera, 52 Pickup, great director. And the, the great thing about Ronan is I know it's got all this, it's got all this tradecraft porn that you and I get off on whenever we watch any kind of espionage mm. movie, which is just like something simple. In the movie, uh, in the movie, in Ronan, even just the opening scene where Sam, played by Robert De Niro, he walks, he's walking into a a, a cafe. He's still maintaining that he's speaking French. Mm. In the cafe are his crew who are being compiled together, together: Jean Renault, Natasha McElone, etc. Jean being there. Oh, not Jean being yet. Which immediately the gig is up when she's in that cafe, just like, oh, I'm just a barista, whatever the fuck. I'm like. You are too hot to be in here. Everybody <laughs> else is a troll. Like every single other person in that cafe is a fucking bridge troll, except for her. And I'm like, okay, so this is like a heist cafe? Immediately. If I was walking past that, I'd be like, oh, heist cafe. Cool. Keep it moving. Yeah. He walks in and then he walks to the exit of the place that he goes down. He puts a gun at the exit. He comes then back into the cafe. He keeps the, the facade up and then eventually follows out and goes into the car and and, and they sort of start the thing. But the movie makes some decisions like that that are just so perfect where they, like, pause the whole movie and tell you everything about the lead character that you need to know in just some really deliberate actions. Everything is stripped back. And they're the moments in Ronan that I can't get enough of. Obviously, we've got, like, what colour is the boathouse at Hereford? And, and you know, oh, God, so what was that quote you said the other day? Uh, that's a raspberry jam. We nearly raspberry saw some jam. raspberry jam, eh? Fucking Sean Bean. Has never ever considered doing less in anything. He's never walked into a project and been like, maybe I could dial it back. He's always like, the dial's off. The dial has snapped off his internal radio and he's just like always giving a 15 when you need at least a six. That for him. And it's like so wild because like he comes in so hot and you're like, it can't stay like this, can it? <laughs> and it doesn't. It gets worse, but great. Um, but it was also very interesting to me. The bit that scene that you point out is very close to like the heat parable of like um parable parallel of like why are you so interested in what I'm reading, lady? And like when um De Niro is in out the back in the cafe in Ronan, he's like lady i never walk into a place i don't know how to get up and i was like okay all right it is very like he's giving me at the start at least he's giving real neil mccauley and also like the whole um ill-fated i guess romance between him and the female lead which isn't believable because she's blonde we know that de niro like stands a black queen and it's like (laughs) fuck we couldn't have had like a black ira chick like that would have been interesting to me but anyway whatever that's why he's a good actor. Pacino, we'll talk about it. <laughs> We're not talking about it. We're staying on track. Talk about but it. I, I, but I, there's so much of this movie that I love, and I think that why it's so good is 
there's there's sort of like very flashy versions of this stuff that ends up being sprinkled through the Bourne series. And I remember when people were like, oh, the car chases, the Bourne series, the car chases, the car chases, the car chases. And I remember Ronan stands even back then being like, Hey guys, like I know that yeah. you, I know that you like Bourne, like it's good. Yeah. But can we just agree that that Ronan car chases are maybe some of the best car chases that have ever been put on screen? And, and everyone's like, no, nah, no one's seen Ronan. Who gives a shit? And and now later, as the uh, you know, as as time time does, it just has this way of like focusing in on these huge movies that seem to endure. It's like, oh no, but actually, this movie completely rules and it has so much going for it and also the thing it doesn't have that Bourne has to battle is that after the Bourne identity everyone knew Bourne and like so they have to take it offline they can't they, they're huge productions Matt Damon's such an iconic actor people start to know him like this is the role that kind of like it was a, there were massive movies and so as they keep increasing they've got to go to much more off the grid places whereas Ronan feels like I'm just going to plonk you in like Paris I'm going to plonk you in these seaside towns in France and I'm just going to go here and here and here a couple of little um you know um uh eastern european cities and as humans we're naturally driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed when i was looking to hire someone it was so slow and overwhelming i wish i had used indeed if you need to hire you need indeed Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Then that's it. Like, it is that it is what it is. We're going to shoot here. We're going to do this. And then we're going to move on. And I think even though De Niro is a massive star, he's not like, he doesn't have like, move. he's not like a movie star, like a Matt Damon that people are going to go and recognize all the time. He just gets in the role. He does it. He does his thing, he moves on. And I think that that's what's really special uh, about everything. And this whole cast is just so amazing across the board. So amazing. And this is the thing, while it's like, I think a lot of people would be like logically the born identity, which keep in mind only came out four years after Ronan and that's came out. So like Ronan hits 98, it's a big success. Like it makes a fucking shit ton of money, right? Um, but it doesn't necessarily like born identity goes into production pretty soon after Jack's all of its best shit, blah, blah, blah. Off we go to the races, etc. And it kind of gets lost in the discourse for a wee bit. Like I would say film heads, but really like boys of a certain age, no, but outside of that, like who was really writing for Ronan? And what I find so fascinating is like, you would point to born identity for being like, the the Ronan like heir apparent but it's really for me the international and the international does this thing which is like pay homage to the inspiration without fucking jacking its shit and still doing some stuff that's bold and interesting and unique and part of that is like watching the born identity which is like Ronan light and being like we're just going to take the best elements from this 
which is A, the romance, but then B, also Clive Owen as the professor character. You know, look what they've done to us. Look what they make you give everything. It's just like, bang up. Fascinating. He's like, has one of the best scenes and the best like few moments in those movies for fucking how many movies did that shit get? Five, six and a shitty Amazon series. It's like, I still, I like those movies, but it was just really fascinating to me watching it in comparison and then getting to like, you mentioned production design before on Ronan. And what I also find fun and interesting about that is it's either so subtle or intentional that you can't, nothing ever feels designed. It all just feels like they come into the place as it exists, which I love. And the thing that I love in the flip of that with international is they do that thing where they jet set to different locations and stuff. And they're just like, here's my big location pick. Like here's a character from approximately 50 kilometers away on a Zoom lens. You know what I mean? Or like we're putting <laughs> these two leads in and with like fucking five German character actors who you'll never see again for the course of this two hour, 40 minute movie. We're putting them in the middle of a scene. Like it's chaos in a way that so specifically echoes Ronan that I found so interesting, but doesn't have that thing that Bourne does where it's like, you just tried to copy the car chase scene precisely, or you just tried to blah, blah, blah. And the tradecraft stuff is such a big part of it too. Again, that's in part why I like the international, because it's like, they're not really spies. They're people who have like a very specific professional, like a uh, fuck from memory. Naomi Watts plays a district attorney, like a New York district attorney or some shit. And Clive Owen's just like, I don't know, maybe an accountant. No, um, he's, and, an, he's an Interpol. He's an Interpol police officer who's got issues. Yeah, and that's the, a police accountant, basically. Like he comes from the Metro originally, but he's like, he's not a gun. Like he knows how to fire guns, but he's not like your pew, pew, pew guy, no. which is what makes it so interesting because it's just these people getting wrapped up in these increasing stakes and scale and just like one of them deciding where I go, you can't follow because I'm really going to commit to this. And I just like, I love that. It's such a good movie. And if, if I was, if I was programming things, Ronan International Double Bill is what I'm doing. Yeah. Look, I, I remember watching the international way back when I watched it in the theater and I wasn't as big a fan of it back then, but I watched it very recently knowing that we were going to chat and I watched it. And when I did, one of the things that struck me, I was like, oh, I totally get why people don't like, I totally get why people don't like this or it's not talked about is because Tom Tikva, rather than like Ronan, which is so much about, it's so much about these, this kind of like mercenary time at the end of the cold war where people were trying to look for allegiances, but it wasn't you know, it wasn't traditional. They didn't want to align themselves with another superpower because it's so, you know, Ronan is pretty bleak about the state of the world. And I think that that's what the international inherits is this fucking absolute bleakness, bleakness yes. of the world. It goes like it, the international yes. goes like, Hey, you know, like governments are fucked. Like, and we can all agree that all international governments are fucked, but you know, who is like parasitic and awful bankers and like bankers are the best are a great bad guy and you know what it kind of underdoes it because i'm like no wonder no one gave money towards this because anyone in finance who saw this was like um this might be one of the most scathing critiques of banking that's ever fucking existed no wonder no one wanted to pl plunge money into the into the budget after they said it's so refreshing like all of these types of movies are looking for some kind of bad guy, like some uniform bad guy. Like I bring up the gray man again. 
hate because I liked it and I feel like lots of people hate it. I don't really you, get it. Can I, can I ask you a favor? Immediately stop talking about the gray man. It's fucking garbage. Hey, hey, Blake. Guess who's giving up their time to come on your shitty little fucking <laughs> rum and rant? Me, me. So I'll talk about what the fuck I want. Art subjective. Stop being such a boner. Anyway, um, in the gray man, one of the things that people mock are all the conventions it adheres to. And yeah. I found that so funny because I don't think they use them very well. So I totally understand why it's up for mocking. Like it's not only that there's a little kid for some reason that gets introduced halfway through the movie. I like the gray man in spite of itself. I should say that. But anyway, this fucking kid and it's the fucking annoying little cunt from once upon a time in Hollywood. And she gets introduced halfway through the fucking film and you're like, oh, okay, so it's got to be a kid and the kid's got to be an orphan. And then the kid's got to have a heart problem. And as the kid's eyes are just like always moist in every fucking scene, you're like, oh my God, give me a goddamn break. <laughs> and with the, the like ominous baddie who like, you don't know, it always has to be some kind of organization that has resources and they do a really, it's like a shadowy government agency, always, always, like born, everything, always, Treadstone, et cetera. And the international, it being a bank and like the mechanics of the bank and how they do that is so good because the tools that they use and the things that they weaponize are very specific. I have very rarely seen it used in that particular way, like that kind of shadowy organization being a bank was so fascinating. But there's also this really great scene where Clive Owen, he's like walking into the bank and one of his colleagues has just, he suspects correctly, has been killed from mercury poisoning that somebody just like sort of taps him on the shoulder as they've met with a contact. And then the person like, you know, does that jackal thing of like, that's how I want to go. Just like my insides <laughs> boiling out of my mouth, mercury poisoning. Cause I knew too much. Um, but he's like, he gets nudged by somebody in this bank and he kind of freaks out. And it's this whole thing of like, you're taught and banks present as, and they are presented as in this film as very like sterile, safe, soulless places. And the like positioning that as something that's terrifying fascinating and he's like in this meeting with someone while watching another person track through this like glass chrome prison and i'm just like oh man the shit is fire yeah it's so good. good it's and the one thing that naomi watt suffers in that movie i think is um clive owen gets to be his natural charming british self like he's not doing an accent or anything like that and i think what's so cool about the international is like one of my other favorite that guy actors in the movie Jack McGee. He plays Detective Bernie Ward, who gets like a oh my god neck shot in the Guggenheim and Dude. dies a horrendous death. It's, He's amazing. This is the other thing about the international is they just people just get got. Like you introduce <laughs> these people and you're like, well, this person is a key part of the team, and then they're gone. And then they introduce another person. You're like, well, then this person, will, and then they're gone, and then they're gone. And I was like, oh my god, this is brutalist and relentless and amazing. Yeah, no, and so like you get like Jack McGee. Ama firstly, amazing face, great character. Amazing uh, face, amazing you, voice, amazing distinctive voice. voice. Um, even someone like uh, Patrick Bellardi is a guy I looked up because he plays Martin White and he's like the shitbag lawyer for the IBCC, which is the big yeah. bad bank in this movie. And I'm like, fuck, I've seen him before. He's terrific. And just like these faces and these random people, they all have this kind of natural charm and this naturalism in the way that they're performing. And there's something in Naomi Watts' character in this movie where she's just a little, 
I don't know, like her DA just doesn't, like when you put her amongst these other natural places, like Jack McGee feels like New York City. Like he's like- Well, a- no, you, what you're trying to say, but like don't have the words to say and I'll say it because I'm a woman. She's too hot. That's, she's too polished and she's too hot. And yeah. even Clive Owen, like the point that they get him and his career and the way he's, he does it so well in Children of Men and a few other things where he can play this sort of grumbling, bumbling, disgruntled guy who's like one last jobby type dude, right? Like he has that persona to it. And Naomi Watts is like, she's she's too hot and too polished and throughout the film kind of too, like, I mean, she gets like fucking skimmed by a bullet a few times and a bit of glass on her face or whatever, but it's not enough for you to not believe it. Like there's another movie that came out uh, from this period. God damn it. I'm trying really hard to remember the title. I hope you can. The Interpreter. Um, Nomi, um, Nicole Kidman and Sean Penn. A film that I also really enjoy (laughs) and has a wild third act twist where they're like, so anyway, maybe Nicole Kidman was a child soldier in Africa. And you're like, what the fuck? (laughs) What the fuck? Wild. Um, Anyway, they, again, also really commit to the bit. But the thing that works about Nicole Kidman in the context of that movie is they have her positioned as this like sort of um, upper east sidey type interpreter who's like polished and wears a certain type of suit and the way she presents is like the polishedness is part of it. Whereas Naomi Watts is this jet sitting lawyer who's like all over the place and chasing a chasing this and chasing a lead and blah, blah, blah. And it's just not believable in that same way that if you weird example, but if you put Carrie Russell in that same part, I would have bought it more. And it's not that Naomi Watts is giving a bad performance at all. I don't think she's ever no, given she's a, not bad giving a bad performance. She just doesn't, she doesn't match. She doesn't match the authenticity. And I think like there's something that Ronan helps Ronan like by comparison, it defies it in a way because like Natasha McBone and Jonathan Price being these IRA outsiders um, have, have something like unique about them. Her beauty is unique and his like, his like conniving nature is unique. But I love what I love about the central cast of Ronan is like, it's kind of dumpy De Niro. It's kind of a bit dumpy Jean Reno. It's dumpy Stellan Skarsgård, Skip Suddeth, who's the, the driver, Larry, who fucking absolutely gets it. He's kind of dumpy. They're I all love like, Larry. They're I all felt like, so sorry for him. Oh, Larry. When his death, that's, that's shattering, shattering. Larry who bothered nobody. Larry (laughs) who was just down to ride. Like he just was happy to do the job. And it's like, you could have just let him out of the car. You didn't need to slit him from fucking ear to ear. It's brutal scream shit. shit. And like Michael Lonsdale also like, and, and Ron Perkins, who's um, his title in Ronan is man with the newspaper who actually is Sam's old contact from the CIA. They're all these fucking Ugmos. They just look like normal dudes. It's so awesome. And they feel like so real and there's no polish on it. And I think that that's what the international for the most part inherits is obviously Clive Owens, a very tall, handsome, striking dude, but like everyone who is like even remotely kind of good looking in this movie, um, in the international rather, uh, other than Naomi, Naomi Watts is, you know, a charming Italian politician and he's like yeah. good looking sons and stuff, but they all feel of a So die. <laughs> they get fucked up. It's like everyone who's hot in the international gets killed. Actually, no, nah, just everyone who's in the international basically gets killed in some capacity of like emotionally or literally. But it is also like a real Frankenheimer thing of like, here's what he took from Black Sunday. He's like, you know what I love? A blimp. 
And like, I'm just going to translate that into actors. He's casting <laughs> metaphorical blimps and shit left and right. And I don't mean like structurally or size wise, like I'm a size queen, but it's more like just the idea of something that's so odd and specific, like the terrorist plot for Black Sunday of like, let's do this shit with a blimp is crazy. Also, have you ever read the book Black Sunday? So no, far? I haven't. It's got, uh, I mean, it's, I mean, has Thomas Harris ever written a bad book? Yes, it was called Hannibal. But I would argue maybe the first two thirds of that are really good. And then the end is where it gets messy and Ridley Scott fixed it in the sequel. But Black Sunday rips and it's got some absolute banger sex scenes in it with this terrorist chick and the psychopath. And I'm just like, wow, like the guy <laughs> just really knows. It's so wild to think like Thomas Harris really just like, can write sex like he's obviously so known for his murders and things and as like somebody who volunteers at like a pale a pelican rehabilitation joint as a man and then just writes these like really fucked up murder books but he also just writes some like it, the book opens with like an absolute just railing and you're just like i'm in <laughs> this is amazing i was in straight away um that reminds me of I think you shared it with me, an amazing letterbox review of George Miller's latest uh, flick, uh, 3,000 Years of Longing. Did you share that? George Miller's George Miller's wife must have the most amazing pussy. Oh, my God. God, how does he understand women like this? Not only did I share it, I remember it off the top of my head because I'm just like, fuck, uh -huh. yeah, amazing. And I say that as someone who hasn't had a chance to see that movie yet, but I just trust. Wow. Like, I'm excited for the Tim Tam commercial adaptation which is what this movie seems like. They watch the Kate Blanchett Tim Tam ad from the 90s and they're like, what about if it's two and a half hours and $60 million? And they were like, sounds good, George, whatever you want. Have some more tiny glasses, King. And he was like, ta-ta. <laughs> I saw it twice in one day and I loved it. I thought it was fantastic. It's really, truly a, a great film. But um, I, th yeah, I think back to Ronan, um, I just love so much that you loved this movie. I, I love so much about it. I love... I love the dialogue. And one of the things we haven't talked about yet is I just love the friendship between Vincent and Sam. Like I love, the, I love the, the John Renault, Robert De Niro romance in this movie is way stronger than him and Natasha Magalona's Deirdre. It's like that, that relationship. It's also way stronger than any of the like weirdly forced male friendships that Michael Mann tries to put in his stuff. Like I was watching the insider literally the day after watching Ronan and <laughs> and the like the real like superficiality and like like fucking forcing of like a circle into a square wholeness of Pacino and Crow where they just have all these shots of them laughing while like standing there with their hands in the pockets on the beach I'm like it, this isn't earned in a way that with Ronan it's like it's all these little moments there's not like a big moment until the end instead what it is is just like little incremental touches that build and build and build so by the time when you get to the cute if bit where they're like in Paris I'll get it I'll find it if it's in Paris I'll find it and it's like he's like I need some new clothes and he's like I'll get them for you and he gives him a cigarette when he wakes up and he's watching him while he's in his sleeping bag adorable sweet also, oh my God, I have thought about the sleeping bag bit so many times because he's <laughs> in, okay, he's in the, in a full on sleeping bag, fully clothed, yeah. fully clothed. 
didn't take off any of his shit just like got into it like fucking sausage casing and then was like yeah peace out i'll sleep like this nothing to cover his eyes it's like fully daylight in there by the time he fucking wakes up i was like absolutely not no way you sleeping <laughs> like this no way uh you have lived with me haven't you and seen how I, like fall asleep on the floor yeah but you do that because you have like two terrorists for children but also um, <laughs> you're like, oh, man, i got to get up at two in the morning to record six hours of pod about heat. Anyway, let's keep this brief. Like you just don't know <laughs> how or when to rest. <laughs> also, sidebar, um, this is relevant to the discussion. You can cut this if you want, I guess. But, you know, that Ben Affleck meme of him, um, like, closing his eyes and he's got yeah, the cigarette in his I hand? Saw, I saw that subtweet you tweeted, you piece of shit. Yeah, sorry. Oh. Oh, you want the subtweet, bitch? I have a banger. I have a banger tweet tweet that I I took that picture, saved it, and I was like, fuck yeah, I can't wait. I'm going to run this past you first because it's just like, it's so good. It really made me laugh so hard. And I was like, oh, man, I'm an award-winning writer. Um, It said, so it's the picture of Ben Affleck. I'm going to tweet it live, live conversation live. with the pod listeners. Okay. Every time Blake calls on shit-ass reception because he's driving and can't be alone with his own thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> and it's the picture of Ben Affleck <laughs> looking <laughs> fucking depressed as shit. <laughs> anyway, nothing made me laugh harder than writing that this morning. But like, oh, fuck yeah, I'm on retweet. one. Live retweet. You're fucking on one. Live retweet. Seriously, how good is that, though? The, the girls who know. No. <laughs> oh, well, look, I'm so glad you got to watch Ronan and I'm so glad that you enjoyed it. And I truly think, um, I think Tom Tikva doesn't get enough credit. And the other thing I just wanted to quickly mention about Tom Tikva, if you're not super familiar with his work or you don't, you don't know the pit crew as Maz was talking about them, like Tom Tikva's run, Lola run is also, there's this weird cycle uh. with Tom Tikva, which is. Run Lola Run, also another movie that fucking had its fingerprints all over Born, and they like literally did the whole yeah. like, oh, we're gonna, I'll have some, I'll have what he, she's having things, thanks, sort of deal. Cast Franca Patente, um, you know, basically use her like the puppy dog in John Wick for Born supremacy, um, you know. Also, just- we didn't talk about Bon Jovi jacking the Run Lola Run plot for the fucking It's My Life video. <laughs> like Bon Jovi stole it first. And then Bourne came in. Bourne was like, great Phoebe, Bon Jovi, our turn. Like, it was a real, like, double heist. Yeah. Bon Jovi was still in Skarsgård, and then Bourne was fucking <laughs> Renault and goddamn De Niro. <laughs> uh, it's, 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 like, really great. But I think the thing I would say is, if you haven't, you know, I know that most of the folks that will probably listen to this run, run rant, um, especially on our OHM Discord, which is another huge part of why um, people can join patreon and, and and join our conversation i've had so many people talking about the, the color of the boat boathouse at hereford and talking you know sending me quotes from ronan so i know they've watched it but give the international another chance there's some good stuff in there and the thing about it is it kind of like it's unrelentingly bleak but it is also magisterially beautiful in the way that it's shot like there's a great scene well the, into the international where it has the shitbag lawyer from the ibcc uh, being driven away uh, um, by, Ooh, by, I know exactly what you're talking about. Oh my God. It's being driven so away. And just, it's just a, it's a small camera move. It's a great fucking trick. It's a great trick on a helicopter shot on this gorgeous Italian coastline. And it just fucking rules so hard. Like there's some moments like that, 
where there's singular moments that happen in a film and you're like, oh, this is whatever I thought about the whole movie or whatever I thought about pieces of it that may not work for me. There's this like synthesis of these great moments that are stitched together and you're like, fuck yeah, this movie rules. Um, so definitely watch that, but always watch Ronin again. It's fucking awesome. It's so economical and it's perfect. Can I just like just dip dip my little fucking tea bag in the water here? The international to me is architecture. Like that's the first thing I thought when I watched it and it's really stayed with me. And I mean that in a way that like something that looks brave and bold and structurally incredible from a distance, but you know, to get something looking like that visually, it required so much planning, intricate, minute detail planning, people who are the best at their fucking jobs and the best at their fields. And like, that is the thing that just like keeps slapping me in the pussy every time I watch that movie is I'm just like, the big and the small, the micro and the macro, the cleverness of it, the like the huge scope and then the tiny details simultaneously, which is a very Ronin thing as well. And it was just like, oh, I just, I just love it. And yeah, it is super grim, but I also think there's this line, fuck, I can't even remember what it came from. Mm, might be Turian is what it's like most freshly staying in my memory, but it's just like, I don't know, some fucking old boy poem about like the importance of having a good death. Like, isn't it so great and noble to have a good death, to have a good life, but to also have a death that means something. And that's like one of the big sort of ongoing theses of the international is like, oh, there's a lot of cookery and a lot of fuckery and corruption and darkness and just like insidiousness manifesting. But then there's also these people who are just like, it is, I will die doing this thing or like it will be a terrible end for me. But isn't that the whole point? Isn't it, isn't that what it's worth it for? Like that whole, you know, that idea of like you meet your destiny on the road you took to avoid it. Bang. Uh, would get that titted on my fucking titted? Tatted. I'll get it tatted. Slag tatted. Tatted on your tit. Well, um, speaking imagine t- that someone's. <laughs> someone's slamming you doggy and they're like, wow, what does your tattoo say? And it says, <laughs> oh, it's from this movie, The International. <laughs> oh, it says, sometimes you meet your destiny on the road you took to avoid it. And they're like, cool. Anyway. <laughs> anyway, I'm your, I'm your destiny right now. Um, uh, speaking of doggy tattoo observations and conversations, uh, we'll just, that's the perfect outro. Um, I think I'll wrap up with Vincent's great last lines of Ronan, which is no questions, no answers. That's the business we're in. You just accept it and move on. Maybe that's lesson number three. Thank you, Maria Lewis. That's the one I'll be getting tatted on my tit and being observed while doggy is happening to me, uh, being pegged. Thank you so much for having what? me. What? How does that even like biologically make sense? <laughs> also, I just got to say, I'm so excited to be coming back for the next episode of Maria Raman Rant where Blake has agreed to talk about the criminally underrated Netflix rom-com Set It Up, one of his favourites, a film he loves. He loves Zoe Deutsch, he loves Glenn Powell, and he's been begging me to talk about this film. And I'm so glad we're finally going to have the opportunity to talk about something that's not targeted at 92% of the male audience. And that's brave. He's brave to commit to that. And it's bold. Listen. That's another Howard's podcast in this house, but I can say I did watch Marry Me, Marry Me, Marry Me, Marry Me. 
I did watch it with my wife and I didn't hate it. I actually had a very, very. It's very cute. It's really cute. Yeah. I, I enjoyed it lots. I think it's really adorable. I made a shit ton of money and people like, has the standard of dropped? And I'm like, nah, man, it's just like sometimes people remember that women are people and they would like some films catered to them as well. You know what I mean? Sometimes women are people. Oh, Jesus Christ. Thank you for doing this. You're the best. Bye. Bye. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code OLDLINE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code OLDLINE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.